Hello, and welcome to the Tuesday, November 10th, 2020 episode of The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music, and I share with you what has currently caught my interest, old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new, if you've never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or estate of any performer or composer dead and gone to discuss their music and or recordings. Now, without, with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. Originally, I had scheduled Victoria Bailey for this episode. Unfortunately, Victoria has been quite ill for the past several days and was unable to interview with me. Look forward to a future ep episode where we will feature Victoria Bailey. In Victoria's place today is no second stringer. My guest today is jazz pianist and organist and a former student of mine, Dr. T.W. Sample. Dr. Sample is a native of Memphis, Tennessee, and began playing the piano at a late age. While balancing athletics and academics, T.W. made time to increase his initial performing experience, playing gospel music for the Second Baptist Church of Wheaton, Illinois. After high school, he moved to Wisconsin and subsequently began learning music theory and studying jazz at the University of Wisconsin-Waukesha. At this time, T.W. began to focus on playing gospel music on the Hammond B3 organ and being mesmerized by jazz pianist Oscar Peterson. After UW-Waukesha, T.W. completed his bachelor's degree at Ohio State University and met jazz organist and pianist Hank Marr. T.W. moved to the East Coast to pursue additional musical and educational opportunities, earning a Master of Music in Jazz Performance at William Patterson University and a Doctor of Musical Arts in Jazz Performance and Commercial Music from Five Towns College. He also studied with protégés of Phineas Newborn Jr., jazz pianist and Memphis legends James Williams, Mulgrew Miller, and Harold Mayburn. His jazz organ trio 
performed twice a week for nearly two years at the American Legion in Harlem. T.W. has a style that spans from jazz to gospel, R&B to hip hop, and classic rock to country. His talent allows him to be a proficient pianist, Hammond B3 organist, and keyboardist. In addition to touring, Dr. Sample is also a music producer, Lawrenceville High School worship accompanist, and a proud member of the Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. In my show notes are additional web links for more information about Dr. T.W. Sample and his work. Hello, T.W. It's great to talk with you again. It's good to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, for my listeners who may be unfamiliar, would you talk a bit about the jazz scene in your neck of the woods prior to the COVID-19 shutdown last March and what you've been doing since the shutdown of live music because of the pandemic? Well, um, lots of things have happened, man. But before the COVID um, shutdown, man, New York was vibrant, man. Uh, New York City never sleeps, and I've always loved it that way. Um, um, there was always something going on. The jam sessions were kicking off still at 1 a.m., and um, um, most of the performers that had gigs that night would always come into the jam sessions and sit in. Um, you just never knew who was going to sit in, man. You never knew who was coming out. Uh, last session I think I went to, um, I was hanging out in, um, drummer Jeff Tane Watts was just hanging out at the at the, at the the bar, just hanging out. And uh, after one of his performances, um, even Sweet uh, Papa Lou, Lou Donaldson, saxophonist, man. Um, he's like, what, 94, what, 93, 94 years old now. And, um, and uh, he still comes out to uh, jam sessions and, and listens to other musicians. And um, uh, I think one time I was just in Jersey, just hanging out and eating breakfast and in walks Kenny Garrett, you know, saxophonist. <laughs> and that's amazing to me. That's what makes New York special, man. You can run into your favorite musicians at any point from um, bassist Christian McBride to uh, guitarist Russell Malone to bassist uh, Ron Carter. Um, all these musicians are very approachable and are willing to share the knowledge or uh, anything like that. Uh, but since the shutdown, um, clearly all of my tours and gigs were canceled and and um, just like every other musician in town and in the nation and stuff like that. But but I, I took this little bit of time to reset to uh, uh, one of my phrase, phrases lately has been uh, learn, unlearn, and relearn. So uh, I, I from working on songs I, I've wanted to play and, and transcribe, I've been working on uh, uh, improving my harmonic gestures, uh, just staying fluid with my music technology. Um, with like Ableton Pro Tools and Logic. Um, uh, you know, usually my day starts at like 5 a.m. I head to the gym, eat breakfast, and um, then I just start my practice routine. Um, and during my practice breaks, I usually uh, typically read about uh, the latest developments in the music business or, or investing. So that's what I've been doing with my time and I'm just looking forward to getting back on the road at some point in time. Well, you know, that's great. I, you know, I have to tell you that um, 
you're not the first, uh, you know, musician I've talked to that has uh, uh, talked about what how they're utilizing their downtime. And, uh, and I'm right there with you. I, I've, uh, I've been spending the last seven months going back and practicing basics on the trumpet and, uh, you know, relearning my Arban characteristic studies and other kinds of things. So it's, it's great to know that, uh, uh, you know, we can take, uh, well, to use the old cliche that we can uh, make lemonade out of lemons. Oh, yes, we have made some lemon out of, lemonade out of lemons, man. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you should, everybody should come out of this thing a little bit better and, and dust off the brain on some other things that you, you prepared for. Well, I agree. I think I think we are going to see uh, a lot of changes as a result of uh, having uh, the lifestyle changes we've had in the last seven months. So, well, anyway, I'd like to get to your new, uh, your newest recording. I've been listening, uh, to your album, Situational Awareness quite a bit. And I really think it's great. Uh, I really love, uh, the, the, the groove, the, the, the sound, the playing on the recording. So tell me about, uh, uh, some of the other, the other musicians that are on the recording. Uh, Stacey Dillard, he's uh, one of the saxophonists. Uh, Stacey Dillard and I, we've uh, been playing together since before we arrived in New York City. Uh, he, he's taken this playing to like a whole other level. He's, always, he's been a first call musician in New York City for a long time now. And um, he's always working as a band leader and as a side man. And, um, and he has several recordings out all the time out right now so he's always working um the other saxophonist is Stantuan Kendrick um he and I we went to uh William Patterson University together but at different times he came in the year I left and I ended up seeing him at a jam session and we exchanged information and um the rest ended up being history we uh I said it to his face and I said it on another radio show I said uh he's he is definitely one of the most underrated uh, saxophonists in New York City. Um, and uh, pianist uh, Morgan Miller knew that because uh, pianist Morgan Miller put him on a gig when, <laughs> uh, while he was at uh, William Patterson. So, and, and to have that type of confirmation, I'm, I heard what I heard and, and, and God knows I'm not comparing myself to Morgan Miller, but he heard what he heard. So somebody knows something. So, and, uh, <laughs> And I, I, I'm glad I was on at least the same page as Morgan Miller, even for just the thought process. And um, on drums, um, Reggie Quinterly is on drums. Um, we ended up meeting on someone else's gig, and we stayed in. We stayed. Uh, we exchanged information again, and uh, um, we exchanged information. I mean, and then um, uh, I needed a drummer for the last minute gig. Somebody offered me, and uh, he came out, and we stayed in contact, and. Um, and the rest is history with him and I. Uh, he, he's a band leader and composer and educator. And uh, he, he's currently teaching at Juilliard and uh, Hunter College in New York City. So he's always having the hustle going on. And um, Seth Johnson is the guitarist. We met at uh, while I was working on our bachelor's at Ohio State. And, um, and no joke, literally, he's always around the world somewhere at some point in time. Um, Every time I 
when he's literally always in another state or a continent. And uh, I'm just thankful he's available when, uh, whenever he is available. And um, last but not least, my original left hand, my right hand man, my pops, my dad, Sylvester Sample Jr. is the basis. Um, he's been on every project I've ever done, every recital, every bachelor's, every recital, uh, bachelor's, master's, three doctoral recitals. Um, my mom and I, my mom and dad um, have been at basically every gig I've almost done as a leader. And um, they are the reasons, they are the reason why and how I know uh, uh, pianist James Williams and how I knew them, I knew pianist James Williams and Mulgrew Miller and Harold Mayburn, and, um, Donald Brown, uh, Tony Reedus, drummer, um, saxophonist, Bill Easley. They all knew me before I was even born. So um, <laughs> I, I didn't even realize who they were. My brothers and I, we were just, uh, we were all athletes. So it was, so we never had anything in common with them, even every time they would call. And, and um, but it was always easy for them to converse with me by the time I started playing. Um, and I didn't even know who they were. Mm. So that was a blessing in disguise that I had no idea about. And, um, but uh, they always gave me the real truth and the raw. And um, uh, even when I wasn't even in the right mindset to even receive their knowledge, everything they said did come to pass. So, so thankfully to my mom and dad, um, that's how I ended up learning about all those people. And those who are, that's who's on the album. That's who the de- album's basically essentially dedicated to. Oh, it's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can never underestimate the power and the influence of parents. I, I can speak the same for myself. Um, my successes, I, I think I would, I would uh, owe to my parents as well. So it's great that your dad was able to play on your, on your recording. Uh, about the recording, so what was your inspiration for the album, Situational Awareness, and what is the significance of the title of the album to you? Well, uh, number one, it was time. Uh, I, had, <laughs> I had put it off creating an album for so long. School, um, gigging, uh, prepping for gigs, uh, traveling, etc. Man, it's, I, I just wanted to put out a project with my my doctoral graduation. By that time, it, every I had so much in a can just sitting around, and it was just time to just go ahead and put the stuff on out. And uh, so uh, I thought I was going to graduate and. Uh, May 2019, once that got fuzzy, I, I just delayed the recording again and release again. And um, I thought I was gonna graduate in the summer and that was fuzzy. So I was just like, I'm just gonna wait this thing on out. So I'm over there in Japan and I get the call on Christmas day saying that I graduated. I'm like, oh wow. So I guess I get to start planning for album release now. So, um, so I did want that my album to coincide with my graduation and um, so I was prepping that this whole time in January and February and then a uh, good old fashioned COVID hit. So, you know, shut down yeah. everybody. So, uh, so that's, that's uh, that was the inspiration. Just, just it needed to get done. <laughs> that was the main thing. But the other part of your question, um, situational awareness is, is a phrase. 
uh, I think we just don't stress enough um, from health to life, life purpose to to that phrase I love again, uh, to learn, unlearn and relearn, uh, to just living in a moment, when to move on, uh, how to move on, knowing when the season is over. Uh, the phrase situational awareness is, is a mindset to me. And, uh, and, and, and it's a mindset of being comfortable with the uncomfortable. Uh, even if it's an unpopular moment, you know, it, it, that unpopular moment is one for you. So uh, I, I love um, phrases and, um, um, and one of the phrases this uh, a guy told me a long time ago, he was like, um, he said, um, if you don't have time to do it right, when are you gonna have time to fix it? Mm. And, and, and that for me is situational awareness. You know, you're not trying to get it right. It's, I don't have time to fix it. You know, I, you know, if I take 10, 15 seconds to concentrate on this moment, I might not have to deal with this actual situation and fix this actual situation again later. So you just have to be aware and be living in a moment to pay attention to and have situational awareness. Um, and I'm always trying to do what's right for me and, and what's doing, doing what's right for me does not interfere with anyone else's uh, progress or goals is just doing what's right for me. I, I don't, I'm not, it's not a selfish thing. It's just, I don't have time to fix stuff. So I want to get it done, get it done right the first time. And uh, you don't have to worry about it anymore. So that's where situational awareness, the phrase came from. It's. Hmm. That sounds like, that sounds like wise counsel for all of us. Just get it right the first time. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to always get it right, but it's just, you just don't want to go back yeah well don't cut corners or don't uh you know shirk on things just because you think you give it you know because you might have to go back and spend more time with it you know the next time i think that's that's a that's some wise thinking um i think all of the tunes on the album really are super uh there's some that's really that stood out for me just because of my own personal tastes i think the opener surreptitiousness I really enjoyed because man the tenor solo just comes out burning for me and your solo as well uh that that's what really spoke to me in in that tune uh I also really liked truth justice and the blues uh just because I really love a good wide open rollicking hard swinging blues but I also really like the ballad, something about Memphis and take time for love. Now I know Memphis is where you were born. Is there something particular about Memphis you were recalling when you wrote this tune? And in take time for love, what was your, what were you thinking about when you wrote that tune? Ah, Memphis, uh, traveling to, to, to Memphis, has always been special to me. Um, as my parents get older and the specialness of Memphis, traveling to Memphis is, has, has grown on me. Um, I try to see them as much as possible when I'm available, but um, something about Memphis, the melody appears to me when I'm looking out of the plane while it's landing. Huh. It comes to me. 
um, it sort of becomes like that theme. It's um, from my grandfather, granddaddy R.C. to James Williams. It's because James Williams from Memphis. Um, it's, it's it's not even a good or bad emotion. It's it's primarily just a feeling that's pretty unexplainable, and that's how you end up getting there's something about Memphis and just the feeling there. Every time I'm landing, it's it's just that theme. Um, and um, on the other part of your question, taking time for love. Um, that's a James Williams composition, actually. Um, mm. Notice it's, it's, it's the interlude too. It's, it's not even a full. <laughs> I didn't even play the whole tune the whole time. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, ever since I had found my purpose, um, I essentially just put a jetpack on my back and kept it full, uh, full of fuel, man. And um, I even had a, the nerve to put horse blinders on, man. I just, I, I was focused on my purpose. And um, um, I never said no to it, but uh, I just didn't put the energy in it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, now that these degrees are done and, and these recordings have come together, um, I'm better situated now for a family life of wife and kids. So um, I'm, I'm not, I, I know me and I, I'm pretty focused on things and, and, um, and I know relationships require a lot of extra focus. So, um, you know, at least I know that I need to put that type of time into it when that happens and when that season does come. So I'm pretty much uh, mentally prepared for anything to come my way. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to ask uh, what probably will be a very obvious question based on what you've already said, but are you currently writing new music? Uh, yeah. Uh, I've, you know, I've, I've always written. Um, I, I prefer letting like the writing come to me. Um, um, I've, you know, when I write, I have to enjoy my own cooking. And that's the way I see uh, I will arrange and rearrange a song until I get the sound I'm looking for, man. Um, uh, and, and, and I, I think about how I want to serve it to people, present technically, but you know, I think about how I want to serve this new meal to people. And um, if you think, even if you think about uh, the first song, uh, Surreptitiousness, um, I had already had the title ready to go. Um, the piano intro was done. Uh, the bridge was done. And you know, at that time, when I, I didn't have a melody for the A section, I didn't even know it was going to be an A section. I, I, I didn't have a solo sections ready to go. I, I didn't have the ending for it. And uh, that whole song sort of like sat in a can for a long time. Um, but as the recording date um, was getting closer, um, I pulled it out and finished it. You know, uh, I just have a list of uh, vamps, intros, uh, partial melodies, bass lines just sitting in you know, on external hard drives, just waiting to be, be waiting to be completed. And uh, I'm looking forward to completing them. So, but uh, if if I need to sit down and do an entire project of work, I can do it. But uh, I try to write daily, if not every other day, just to make certain that 
I get something on paper because I've always come back to something later and said, wow, that was a decent idea I can use right now. And um, as long as I'm happy with that, I'm good with how I, I compose. So the energy has to be right and it, and it has to just fall in and, and come to me versus me going to it. Although if somebody commissions me to put something together, I can do that too. So I'm not worried about it. Um, I'm always looking forward to uh, composing. You know, there's something he said that that struck me, uh, that reminded me something I used to talk about in my uh, class when I taught uh, cre creative thinking and problem solving. Mm -hmm. And that is sometimes we have to build the plane while we're flying it. Mm -hmm. I, I like to call that paint the bridge while we're building it. Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. Same thing, you know, you can't, you can't wait till everything's perfectly in place. Right. Sometimes you have to just start moving ahead and, and, and then, uh, and then, you know, make changes as you go along. I think that's, that, uh, that's a great way to, to look at the creative process. Uh, you know, I've asked every jazz musician that I've interviewed thus far, and now I'm going to ask you, what is it that makes jazz unique in comparison to other styles of music? Two words, the blues. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, let me uh, at least uh, put a parenthetical phrase right here. Um, you know, I started playing out in the church and, um, uh, and as far as I'm concerned, um, the, the oppression that it created the blues was just as equal in gospel music as well. Um, so I always want people to always know that um, the sound of the blues was in the church house as well. But um, for the blues, the oppression created the blues, man. And um, but since we're talking about jazz, uh, the blues will always separate itself from other styles, just just from how the blues was uh, created. And yeah, that's, that's, that's weird. Okay. No. That separates jazz from everybody else. Well, you know, I, I remember years ago, I don't even remember who said this, but it makes a lot of sense when they, the statement was made that the blues is the taproot of all American music. And probably jazz is, uh, in many ways, is the most American of, uh, of American music because it reflects the belting pot of our culture. Well, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think Wynton uh, ended up saying, like, you know, you know uh, jazz is American classical music. And you get like a trumpeter like Nicholas Payton. Um, he calls it a uh, black American music, you know, and I'm you know, not to deal with semantics, but you know, more than one thing can be true at the same time. And um, mm -hmm. everybody has some, some pretty uh, varying um, opinions about it, but um, you know, it, it, it shows up regardless at the end of the day, uh, blues is, is really real and, um, and it will always uh, need to be researched at some point in time. So. That's, that's, that's separate, how it separates itself from other genres. Okay. 
So uh, you've been talking about things you've been keeping busy with. Uh, so what's next for Dr. T.W. Sample? Uh, right now, uh, I'm planning to record another trio album and an uh, organ album, um, organ trio album at least. Um, and then I'm, I'm looking to do some more film scoring since we're going to be at home and I'm keeping my, um, uh, my music technology together. <laughs> I, 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 it's, I might as well get ready for the new, new way of living. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll be at home. I might as well be doing some film scoring at the same time and, and also some music production. Um, but uh, last but not least, hopefully, you know, if we're available, if available, I would love to get back on stage again, man. And, you know, just see my, my fellow musicians and, and friends again, performing again. And I just want to, I would like to hang out all night at jam sessions again. And, uh, you know, and see all these musicians and your idols being in, being at the same venues and playing and performing again. So uh, I'm looking for New York City to at least get back to normal some way, somehow. But, um, um, I'm just looking forward to just doing just those few things, man. And hopefully um, it can happen uh, sooner, sooner rather than later. But, um, um, uh, but right now, currently I'm, I'm getting these piano trios and organ trios uh, music together to, for that right now. Okay, super. Well, is there anything I haven't asked you that you would like to add or tell my audience? Um, not really, man, but uh, but shout out to my brothers, Garrett and Jeremy. Um, uh, uh, in Wisconsin, I went to Holy Cathedral Church of God in Christ in Milwaukee. Shout out to them. Um, I used to hang out at uh, Apple Tree Credit Union all the time. Um, um, and the whole music crew that uh, while I was there, there uh, from Steve Bogey and Chuck T and uh, uh, Tara and Sarah and Adam and I know I'm missing some names, so charge it to the head, but um, and not the heart, but uh, you know, uh, it's Elsa Harris and um, um, Hank Marr. Um, yeah, those those people, man. Shout out to them always. My mom and dad have always been there from the beginning, so they know that, and I shout them out all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, T T W, thank you for taking time to talk with me today and all the best with what I'm sure will be a lot of continued success in your musical future. Well, thank you for having me aboard, man. I'm, it's been way too long again, man, but one way or another, I'm gonna make it back to Wisconsin, man, because I haven't been up there since the last time I think I've seen you, and it was a forever before that. So I'm looking forward to getting back to Wisconsin at some point in time in the near dear future, man. Well, it sure will be good to see you. You take care and have a great rest of your day. You too, man. Take care. My new discovery composer this week is Dario Castillo, wind player and composer who flourished during the first half of the 17th century. Born in Venice and baptized in 1602, Castillo was employed by 1621 as a director of a pifari, a town band that included both wind and string instruments. In 1624, he was appointed as a violinist 
at St. Mark's Basilica in Venice, likely working under Claudio Monteverdi. He died in Venice in 1631, probably a victim of the Great Plague of 1630. Despite his small output of two collections comprising 29 compositions, that his works were still in numerous reprints as late as 1658 may indicate the popularity and wide dissemination of his work. The All Music Guide lists 26 recordings of Castillo's instrumental chamber music and two recordings of motets providing delightful examples of early Italian Baroque music. If I were Joe Bob Briggs, I would definitely encourage you to check them out. That wraps episode three. My show notes, along with links to artist websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artist performances are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Coming up next week will be an interview with Milwaukee jazz trumpeter and educator Eric Jacobson, where we will talk about the Milwaukee Jazz Institute and Eric's new book. Also, in future podcasts, interviews with my good friend and director of the Jazz Studies Program at DePaul University in Chicago, Dr. Robert Lark, Nashville-based blues and R&B singer Gina Cecilia, New York-based drummer, composer, arranger, and band leader Dan Pugach, and another great friend, Frank Green, one of the most sought-out lead trumpet players in the United States today. Frank is currently the lead trumpet player with the Count Basie Orchestra and formerly of Maynard Ferguson's big band and trumpet with Paul Schaefer and the world's most dangerous band on The Late Show with David Letterman. So don't touch that dial and stay tuned. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at h-u-r-s-t-c at u-w-m dot e-d-u. So until next time, this is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day. Music